Well, let me, let me ask you something. When you think about your Christian walk, have you ever asked yourself, you know, am I really making any progress here? Have you ever asked yourself that? I mean, have you thought about I'm, I'm still stealing, uh, dealing with the same heart issues? I'm still struggling with the same sins, right? I mean, I can't even watch the Olympics without being confronted with my own lust every other commercial, right? Have you thinking something like that? Or maybe, you know, why, why can't I, I just can't let go of this need to control everything. Or, or maybe it's for you, it's, I, I just can't keep from snapping at my spouse for no reason. It's, it's just so automatic. I do it without even thinking about it. I, I mean, the truth is that we often feel like we're spinning our wheels spiritually. We get discouraged. We can get frustrated. We can get worn out and weary. I mean, some of us may already be on kind of autopilot, right? Yeah, we go to Sunday school and we come to church on Sunday morning. We might even, you know, volunteer in the nursery. But, you know, in essence, we're just kind of going through the motions spiritually. I, I, can, I can identify and, and understand that. And I bet many of you can as well. And I want to say that if any of this resonates with you, I encourage you to listen to Paul's prayer this morning. Because we're looking at Colossians 1, verses 9-14, through 14, as I said earlier. And Paul's prayer in this passage speaks to this kind of wrestling and holds out great encouragement for us. You see, in his prayer, Paul prays for life-changing knowledge, strengthening power, and motivating gratitude. And as he prays for those things, in, in the background, the underlying theme is that he's encouraging the Colossians to keep being transformed by your faith in Christ. So let's read Colossians together. Chapter 1, verses 9-14. through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father, I, I, pray, I pray for myself. I pray for this weak, frail vessel. And I, I just pray that You would empower me this morning to be faithful to Your Word, to Your Gospel, to Your Scriptures. Let nothing come out of my mouth that goes against or contradicts Your Word. I pray that. And I also pray for our hearts. Let them be soft and ready to hear Your truth. Let us receive the truth of Your Word, not just to fill our heads, but to change our hearts. And Father, I ask especially this morning as we talk about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, as we talk about seeking power, 
being strengthened by power. As we talked about being motivated in gratitude, I pray that no one walks out of here this morning hearing me say that it's all up to them to do it. I pray instead that they would hear that it's by grace, that's through faith, that's you who does it in us. I pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the first thing that Paul prays for is life-changing knowledge. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, remember what we learned last week, right? Paul has never met the Colossians. He's not the one who founded this church, but he has heard the good report that came from Epaphras about the Colossians, about their faith in Christ, about how they're bearing fruit, their love for the saints, and this is what, is what stirred his heart in thanksgiving, which we read about last week. And, and this week, the prayer that we're going to look at is rooted in that thanksgiving. It flows from that thanksgiving. And he says he prays without ceasing. Not, he's, not being, he's not exaggerating or using hyperbole. He's not praying all the time in the sense of frequency, but in the sense of consistency. When Paul prays, he never forgets to pray for the Colossians. But what does he pray for? He prays for this, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I mean, I could probably preach an entire sermon just on those two verses. They are jam-packed. So we're not going to be able to hit everything here, everything there this morning. But I want to start off by, by making the observation that's not surprising to me that Paul prays for knowledge. Because if you remember the context from last week, the Colossians are being exposed to some kind of false teaching. Some form of Christ is not enough. That you need Christ plus something else. Now we don't know what that teaching was exactly. Uh, maybe the Colossians were being told that they needed some kind of secret knowledge or to participate in some kind of ritual. Maybe they were told they needed to have some kind of special supernatural experience. You know, maybe the latest self-help scroll was climbing the charts and it contradicted Christian teaching. I don't know what it was. But what, I, but what we do know is that whatever the teaching was, it was Christ plus something else. And Paul, through this prayer, it's as if he's saying, what you need, you already have. You just need more of it. And the first thing the Colossians need more of is knowledge. But Paul isn't praying for just any kind of knowledge. He's praying for the knowledge of God's will. And this is not in a subjective sense. Like we pray for things sometimes for God's will. You know, should I take this job or not? Or I've been accepted to two colleges, which one should I go to? Paul's not really talking about that. He's talking more in the sense of obedience. What does a life submitted to God look like? What is God's will? We'll talk more about that in a minute. So he's praying for a knowledge of God's will, but it's not a knowledge that's alone. It's a knowledge that's accompanied by all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is, it's a wisdom. Praying for wisdom so that the Colossians will be able to apply that knowledge of God's will to the circumstances of, of daily life. You see, the knowledge of God's will is supposed to lead to something. 
Paul is praying for a life-changing knowledge of God's will. A knowledge of God's will that will be applied towards a targeted purpose. Knowledge that's not just going to fill their heads, but impact their hearts and impact the way they live their lives. I mean, the end goal for the Colossians is, is, is towards the middle or end of, of these verses where Paul says, so that, they, so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is, in a way that brings honor and glory to him. And, and Paul then fleshes that out. He says, first of all, to live in a way that's fully pleasing to the Lord. Now, you, you might hear that and, and think, you know, Okay, so fully pleasing, that means you know, as far as earning salvation or God's love or his, or his acceptance. That's not what Paul's talking about. If you're in Christ, you have all those things already. When he talks about fully pleasing, he means pleasing in the sense of obeying God like a child who seeks to please a parent, following his commandments and pursuing righteousness in all areas of their life, being conformed to the image of Christ, being more like our brother, Jesus Christ. And then he fleshes it out some more and says it means bearing fruit in every good work. You know, the fruit of the Spirit would become more evident in our lives. Gentleness, kindness, patience, peace, self-control, those kinds of things. I mean, have you ever walked past a basket or a bowl of fruit? Or have you ever been in like the, uh, the produce section of the grocery store and you just smell that sweet aroma of the ripe fruit, right? That's... That's what's to mark Christians. That's the pleasing aroma of the fruit of holiness that Paul is praying will be in our lives. And we can smell when we come across people who are like that, can't we? But there's also a practical side of it. It's bearing fruit for every good work. Looking for ways to serve and not just allowing ourselves to be served. And then the last way he fleshes it out is he says increasing in the knowledge of God. It's more about just finding out what God's rules are and following them. It's about relationship. It's about knowing God more deeply. Why? Because when we know what God, more of what God is like, we want to be more like Him. When we learn more about who God is, we want to please Him. You know, all these things together are contributing to that underlying theme I mentioned earlier. Paul is saying, Colossians, you have been transformed by your faith in Christ. Keep being transformed by the gospel. And I would say in application that I would say the same thing to us. Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church, you have been transformed by your faith in Christ. Keep being transformed. Pursue spiritual knowledge. I mean, spiritual knowledge is essential to the Christian life. You, you can't have faith in Christ without knowledge of the gospel. You can't love and worship a God we don't know. We can't please God if we don't know what pleases Him. You know, even in those kind of subjective areas, when we're trying to make decisions, we, we need a foundation of biblical principles to draw upon. I mean, that's why studying and meditating on God's Word is so important. And that's why, you know, our church puts such a such an importance on the teaching and preaching of God's word. So I want to encourage you to make use of the opportunities that you are that are presented to you to learn 
the Scripture, to learn God's Word, to learn God's will for, for you in Christ Jesus. But I also ask you to pray for illumination and wisdom for the Holy Spirit because you know acquiring knowledge is not enough. Do you know there are lots of atheists in this world who know their Bibles backwards and forwards? Do you realize that? It's not just about knowledge, but that knowledge becomes spiritual when the Holy Spirit is the one behind it. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see and understand. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us that wisdom that we need to apply the Scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit who uses God's Word to change our hearts. He's the one that enables that knowledge to bring about its intended purpose. I mean, even this process is an act of God's grace and His mercy. So ask for that grace. You know, when you're going to small group or you're sitting in Sunday school, or even now when you're listening to this sermon, pray for those Holy Spirit mercies. Be transformed by the spiritual knowledge you do have. That's the third thing I would say. I mean, the process of transformation looks different for everyone. And the pace of change is different for everyone. So don't, don't compare yourself to other people. But have the guts, and it takes guts, to ask the right questions, okay? Am I walking in a manner that is worthy of the Lord? Ooh. Or am I more concerned about pleasing myself? Clutching on to sins that are just pleasing to me. You know, only being willing to shine the light of God's Word in those areas of my life that I choose. You know, am I bearing fruit in every good work? Am I becoming a different person because of my faith in the Gospel? Am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I actively finding ways to serve and support the body? Am I being faithful in those areas I've already been called to serve? Whether it's the office, or my home, or the neighborhood, or the community. Now, before we go any further, I know where some of you are right now. Okay, You're sitting there and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I want to keep being transformed by the Gospel. I want to be more like Christ. So I need to do this and this and th I, you know I really need to volunteer at the nursery. I need to, you know, read my Bible more, whatever it may be. Now I will never discourage someone from cultivating a life of holiness and service. But remember this: you cannot do that on your own. Just as you were saved by grace through faith so you will be transformed by grace through faith. In and of yourself, in and of myself, we do not have the, the power to transform ourselves. And you remember that. The Holy Spirit has to do it in you. And that's why in the next verse, Paul prays for strengthening power. In verse 11, he says, May you be strengthened with all power 
according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, when I read that, one of the first questions that comes to my mind is, why is Paul praying for endurance and patience? And the answer is, is because life is incredibly difficult, especially for those who are following Christ. In fact, the Christian life is impossible to live in our own strength. I mean, consider some of the biblical language that talks about what needs to be done to become more like Christ, okay? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Pummel your body and make it your slave. Crucify the flesh and its passions and desires. Put to death the deeds of the body. Who can do those things on their own? None of us can. On our own, we don't even want to do them. I mean, does any of that sound like fun to you? It doesn't to me. Or, you know, think about what the Bible says about normal as a Christian, okay? Jesus in John 15, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul says the same thing in 1 Timothy 3. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted for wanting to live a godly life. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, but when you meet trials of various kinds. Peter echoes that in 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Paul says in Philippians 1, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. And if all that wasn't heavy enough, you know, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5 that we also have a bullseye on our back for the devil, right? He says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Beloved, these things aren't exceptions in the Christian life. They are presented and accepted as the norm of the Christian life. I mean, I don't want to go through these things. Do you? I mean, is it any wonder that Paul prays for the Colossians to be given strength and power? I mean, which one of them, which one of us, has it within their own power to endure all these things? Which one of us possesses in ourselves the patience or the ability to persevere through them? I mean, I don't know about you, but I try my best to avoid trials and killing my sin. And when I am forced to deal with them, I'm certainly not filled with patience and joy. I can tell you that. More like complaining, frustration, and anger. And I'm wondering if you're really all that different. I mean, again, on our own, we cannot do these things. We cannot endure. And we certainly can endure with patience and joy. 
And that's why Paul doesn't just pray for any power. He prays for strength from the power of God's glorious might. I mean, think about what power he's asking for for a second. I mean, this is the same power that said, let there be light, and there was. The same power that casts the stars in the galaxy. The same power that governs and sustains all things now. This is the same power that parted the Red Sea, that stopped the sun cold. This is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is the same power that Paul is praying for, the power we need to endure and persevere in our Christian walk. This is an unfathomable power that lies totally outside of ourselves. But we can ask for it. Because that's what's ultimately working in us. And we need to ask for it. Did you happen to catch that qualifying relay race in the Olympics this week? I think it was the 400, the 4x400 relay. And there was a guy named, named Manteo Mitchell on the American team who about halfway through his 400-meter leg of the race heard a sudden pop in his leg and then experienced some serious searing pain. He described it this way, as soon as I took the first step past the 200-meter mark, I felt it break, that being his leg. I heard it. I even put out a little war cry, but the crowd was so loud you couldn't hear it. I just wanted to lie down. Every step I took, it got more painful, he added. But I was out there already. I just wanted to finish and do what I was called to do. And finish the race he did. He finished his leg, handed the baton off to his teammate, and helped to secure a place to the Americans in the final race. How amazing is that? To me, that story is such a great picture of the Christian life. Because, beloved, we too are called to finish running the race. And with the enablement of the Holy Spirit, this is what our endurance looks like. We're disheveled, worn out, discouraged, frustrated, exhausted, beat down, black and blue, bloodied, even broken yet we doggedly fight to still painfully hobble towards righteousness. Yet we still resist temptation even though we feel like we've got nothing left. Doing what we know we're called to do as we clutch onto the baton of God's grace and mercy for dear life, knowing that when we stumble, when we fall or even break a leg, we will finish the race. Why? Only because of God's glorious might working within us. That glorious might which keeps picking us up over and over and over again. That same glorious might which will eventually be what carries us over the finish line. Now that, my brothers and sisters, is strengthening power. Let's ask for it. You know, Manteo Mitchell said this about his motivation to keep pressing on despite the pain. He said, I saw Josh Mance, that's his teammate, motioning me in 
to hand the baton off to him, which lifted me. I didn't want to let those three guys down or the team down, so I just ran on it. Well, that was his motivation, but you know, Paul finishes by praying for a different kind of motivation for us. He prays for the Holy Spirit to fill us with motivating gratitude. In verses 12 to 14, he says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's praying for motivating gratitude. And you can almost hear Paul's underlying exclamation in this prayer of thanksgiving. It's almost like he's saying, can you believe what God has done for us? I mean, think about what Paul highlights as God having done for us. When our sin and unrighteousness disqualified us, God qualified us in Jesus Christ, making His righteousness ours. And then He made us co-heirs with that same Jesus. Amazing. When we were enslaved to our sinful nature, and we were perfectly content serving our dark Lord, the devil, God took the initiative out of His grace and mercy and delivered us from the realm of darkness, transferring us and making us citizens of the kingdom of light. And not only that, but giving us new hearts to serve our new King, our new Lord, Jesus. I mean, Paul literally says that we have been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. The same Son who shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus Christ, the same Son who redeemed us. Who redeemed us from our bondage and redeemed us from the pit. Paying the price to set us free. How could the Son not be beloved by us too? How could the things that God has done for us not motivate us? Not motivate us to pursue righteousness and endure whatever comes our way? How could we ever grow cold to those things? I don't know, my brothers and sisters, but what I do know is that we do. We all do. Even when we're flooded, like in this passage, with everything God has done for us in Christ, we are still forced to rely on God's wonderful grace even to fuel our thanksgiving and our gratitude. I pray for that grace for each and every one of us this morning, including me. May the Holy Spirit use these things to stir our hearts and may He help us to keep these things from becoming commonplace to us Keep us from taking them for granted. And I pray that as we ponder these things even now, I pray that the Holy Spirit would make our hearts overflow with faith, joy, love, trust, worship, and motivating gratitude. Imagine how our hearts would be changed by that. How beautiful it would be for us 
by grace and through faith to be motivated to love, holiness, and service by these things instead of things like obligation and fear or a desire to secure divine approval. Lord, do this work in our hearts this morning. I want to finish this morning by talking about a scene from one of my favorite movies because it ties together so many of the things um, that we've been talking about. And have you, uh, this is like a rhetorical question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies? I mean, who's seen them? So many of us have probably seen them. I've <laughs> got some big fans in the back, it looks like. One of my favorite scenes is in the second one, The Two Towers, and it involves the liberation of King Theoden, the king of Rohan. You know, to kind of set the stage here, the Dark Lord Sauron has resurfaced and he's growing in power and he's amassing his armies to take over Middle-earth. And if that weren't bad enough, even the good wizard Saruman has now joined Sauron in that quest. And even Saruman is amassing his own army of orcs for his own use. I mean, things are not looking good for the inhabitants of Middle-earth as the dark forces begin to carry out their plans for evil and total conquest. But then there's Gandalf, another wizard and a Christ figure in the series who seeks to rally the armies of men to the cause. So he travels to Rohan, but when he arrives there to enlist the aid of King Theoden in the, in the battle, he doesn't find the great king he once knew. He finds a decrepit, weak, helpless, old shell of a king. He finds a man who is in bondage to the evil will of Saruman, the evil wizard who now through a spell in a sense possesses Theoden and controls the once great king. And here's the scene. Gandalf strides into the throne room, right? He strides towards the king with his staff lifted and he says, Theoden, too long have you sat in the shadows. Hearken to me. I release you from this spell. But instead of deliverance, you hear evil laughter from the king as Saruman speaks through him and says very mockingly, you have no power here, Gandalf the Grey. Ah, but what we find out is that Gandalf is no longer Gandalf the Grey, is he? For as he rips off his gray cloak, Gandalf bursts forth in these radiant white robes, holding up his staff, gleaming with power, and announcing, I withdraw you, Saruman, as poison is drawn from a wound. And the confrontation begins, and Saruman snarls back with the threat. He says, if I go, Theoden dies. And Gandalf looks him straight in the eye and authoritatively declares, you did not kill me, you will not kill him. Be gone! And the confrontation comes to an end as Saruman, through 
the king charges Gandalf as he leaps off the throne, and Gandalf thrusts forth his, his staff, and, and the king, as the king flies back into his chair, and as he does, the scene shifts, and we've seen Saruman in his tower, right? And he is been pushed back and sliding back on the floor, being de- defeated, utterly cast out, and losing control of the king. And then right before our eyes, we watch as King Theoden transforms back to himself before our very eyes. And Gandalf tells him, breathe the free air, the free air again, my friend. And then they bring the king his sword and he triumphantly rips it out of the scabbard and he holds it up and he's looking at it as the, as the strength he once had returns to him and the knowledge of who he is returns to him. And his response can be nothing else but for Theoden to sound the charge and eventually lead his men into battle to defeat the enemy. What a scene that is. When I, when I read it in the book, it, it, you know, if, if, I, uh, if I were a little more secure in my manhood, I would tell you it made me cry, but for today, it made me close to crying when I read that chapter in the book. <laughs> And the reason is, is because it's such a great picture of the things that we've been talking about this morning. I mean, beloved, is not Gandalf like Jesus? You know, is, is Theoden not like us? When we were dead in our sins and totally helpless, when we were controlled by the devil, deceived by his lies, Jesus came and sought us out and delivered us. And Jesus didn't liberate us by holding up a wizard's staff, right? He did it by holding up His Savior's arms and allowing Himself to be nailed on a cross to pay for our sins. You know, when a sermon snarled and mocked, and Jesus was up on that cross, so the devil rejoiced, seeing Jesus' death as divine defeat, thinking that He had finally won, that Jesus no longer had any power here. But like Saruman, Satan, thank God, was dreadfully wrong. For after three days, Jesus ripped off His grave clothes, revealing the brilliance of His white, glorified resurrection robes revealing the power of His glorious might. And now, when Satan snarls, they are mine, they will die. Jesus, our deliverer, triumphantly declares, the grave could not hold me, Satan, and you no longer hold claim to them. Because we have once and for all been delivered from our bondage. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the glorious one, the kingdom of light. And now we are no longer old, decrepit, enslaved theodens. We are being transformed into the image bearers that we were meant to be. We are being and able to walk in a manner worthy of the King of Kings, being stirred by by our love and gratitude towards Him in our hearts, we can have no other response but to grab our swords and fight for our Savior, giving everything we've got until we breathe 
our last breath on this earth. Knowing, knowing that every slash of our swords, every battle we fight, is ultimately guided and enabled by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the power of the Father's glorious might, and only made possible by the death and resurrection of the Son who set us free. Brothers and sisters, let us pray that we would claim Paul's prayer for the Colossians for our own and expectantly hope that the Gospel will keep transforming us. Let's pray. Father, I, I just, even up here preaching, I I'm, I'm just found myself amazed by what you have done for us, for, for, for people who deserve nothing from you except death and wrath and punishment. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a God you are. How abounding in grace and mercy are you. How much your love for us to come and rescue us when we were helpless. Thank you. I pray, Father, that the gospel would sink more deeply into our hearts. And yes, that we would seek to be changed by that gospel that most of all we would be moved to know the God of that gospel and His Son. And that we would just ask and pray and always remember that though we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it is You who is ultimately working in us. pray all these things in the matchless name of the King whose kingdom we have been transferred into. King Jesus Christ. Amen.